0: Overseas Basketball Connection is an app and platform that connects the pro basketball player to the pro basketball team without having an agent, keeping them coins in your pocket. Normally, when a player wants to play pro, they go hire an agent, sit on their couch, and hope the agent's out there working hard for them, not knowing if the agent's putting in their work, contacting teams, or putting them on the back burner. With OBC, we give the player the power to have their career in the palm of their hands. With our app, players can check out live openings from teams around the world and send their game film and stats straight to the team in seconds with the push of a button, cutting out the middleman agent. No Referees Podcast and OBC have teamed up to bring you an exclusive offer. This month only, you'll get to sign up for free. Tell all your Hooper friends, your sons, daughters, cousins, it doesn't get any easier to live out your dreams with OBC. Overseas Basketball Connection, number one source for players to play basketball overseas. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at no Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Eversaka Joby, bringing you another quarantine edition of our show. As always, you can find us on social media at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. Joining us today is a very, very, very special guest, one of my friends from back in the day-day. He's a current assistant coach at the University of Nebraska men's basketball team, recently rated top 40 under 40 young coaches in the country by ESPN, also, one of the top 50 most impactful high maker assistants rated by Silver Wave Media. You can find them everywhere on social media at MadD33. My brother who bleeds blue from Mets and Giants. <laughs> Matt out Massey. What up, bro?
1: What's up, man? Thanks for having me, man. It's always great seeing you.
0: Hey, man. You know, I got to do this real quick. I know you ain't going to like this, but the real blue, right, is uh, this one. <laughs> The cowboy blue, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's the real
1: blue. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep a professional because I don't have many great things to say about that. About that. <laughs>
0: hey, bro, before we get into the podcast today, man, very first thing I want to ask you about, um, how's your son doing? You know, one father to, to another father. I saw yeah. some stuff on your social media. How's your son? How's your family He's
1: doing? He's doing good. I mean, it was a scary uh, three or four days for me and my wife and, uh, you, you know, Clearly, that was the first time that we experienced, um, you know, our first child being really sick, and it was scary. And and especially these times, the doctor sure sure as hell make you a lot more scary about what's going on. But luckily, he tested negative, and he's all good to go back running around being crazy. That's
0: good, man. I'm happy for you, man. Good yeah, man, yeah. I, uh, my son, um, Emery, he has a uh, food allergy, so we really have to be cognizant. He's allergic to egg, nuts, and fish, so uh, I know what it's like. You know, He had allergic reaction one time. We got to take him to the uh, hospital, ER, and an ambulance type thing. So, oh, wow. uh, Yeah, so I just, you know, I saw that post on your social media. It just was the first thing I wanted to ask. you. Yeah, so, I appreciate uh,
1: that.
0: Here on No Referees Podcast, the name, No Referees, No Rules, No Text, No Whistles. So I ask all my guests every time they come on, what was the very first experience you had with the referee, be it positive or negative?
1: Well, you know what? I mean, I, I've been, um, you know, working for two guys in Hoiberg for five years at Iowa State. Then these, you know, this prior to this last year, four years for Chris Mullen. You know, Chris Mullen is as, you know, uh, brash of a, of a coach you're going to be around because he is a player, man. He is an elite player, and that's his mindset through and through, and he's not going to allow a referee to dictate, you know, anything through the flow of the game um, by a call, and he's going to make it known if he disagrees, if they're messing with that flow, and that was really, because Hoiberg is really laid back. He's not going to ride a ref, um, whereas Mullen, you know, did, and you know, I appreciate both sides of it, you know, seeing Mullen and how he interacted with the refs in a more brash way you know I think that the refs are a a lot more um, giving in terms of making sure they they make up for a call because of that Um, did he did he cross the line probably Uh, I think everybody does when they're interacting with referees but um, and then for me personally you know uh, I'm definitely not afraid to say something and you know, I'm chirping on the, on the bench, and re- this past year we were playing a game, and one of the refs turned around and, and, and told me to shut up and, and take myself back to where I came from, the East Coast. So that was a very nice experience. He did apologize a couple days later, but regardless, I just laughed it off because if I got under his skin, I'd I definitely achieved what I wanted to.
0: <laughs> wow. Hey, I know you, you had some choice words for the ref that you probably would have said if, if y'all weren't on no that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So staying right there with the season, you know, uh everybody had to cancel the basketball season for the COVID situation. Uh you guys uh you know, you just finished your first season there. Um we'll get into the recruiting, uh, um, the new recruiting class and all that. I want to say congratulations on that. Um yeah, I got a bunch of questions on that. So walk us through some of the uh, the backstory uh behind the scenes stuff when we uh I'm not sure if you guys already got to Indianapolis. I know that the Big Ten tournament was yeah. there. You know, so, what, you know, what was the days and minutes uh, leading to you guys had to cancel
1: that day? Well, we, we had a crazy scare in ourselves. So we played the second-to-last game of the college basketball season. We played Indiana. It was the second game of that Wednesday night, a late tip. I think we tipped at like 9 o'clock Eastern time. Um, but Hoiberg actually was sick throughout the day. And at that time, to put it in context, we didn't know as much as we know now about COVID. And we didn't know the symptoms specifically. We didn't know how severe it was. We only read about it. The media wasn't really reporting like it is nonstop 24 hours a day now. So, um, you know, he did have a fever, um, you know, flu-like symptoms throughout the whole day. When we got to the arena that night, um, you know, well over two hours before tip for us, he got tested by, Big Ten officials, uh, the doctors that were on site there, and they gave him a chest x-ray because at that time, the chest x-ray was a common thing just to see if there was any cloudiness there, and everything was clear, so they allowed him to, to coach the game, but as the game went on, you know, um, I think on, it seemed like on social media, people got some video of him putting his hands on his head and kind of looking pretty sickly. And with four minutes left in the game, someone came from the stands, a Big Ten official, removed them from the court. They put them in a wheel. And as soon as the game was over, we were quarantined in our locker room for well over 90 minutes waiting for the results. So at that time, that was when you got tested. It was going to take five, seven days, not like it is now. So the biggest thing that they were testing for was influenza. And if he had influenza, then the chance of you having COVID-19, I guess, were like less than 1%. So thank God he tested positive for influenza. We finally got to leave the hotel or uh, the arena to go back to the hotel. When we got back to the hotel, we had a quarantine in our rooms just to be safe. That next day, flew back to Lincoln. And, and when we landed, St. John's just had tipped against Creighton, which was the last game of college basketball, and they ended the game at halftime. So we were the second-to-last game. Certainly the irony that both Nebraska and St. John's were the last two games of the college basketball season. Um, But, yeah, it was a very tense 48 hours. Uh, Luckily, Hoiberg got the test back, and it did come back negative, I think, a good six or seven days later. But definitely scary. Put things in perspective right away, having uh, to go – quarantine for as long as we did I mean for me you know and clearly for himself and his family we were all scared for him because he does have underlying health issues um so you know you know you never want to think worst case scenario but there were things going through your mind god forbid he did have it but luckily everyone uh, was cleared and, and uh moved on but yeah certainly a crazy last two months um for us professionally but listen man like you know, we can't control anything that happens. I'm fortunate enough to be at home, you know, with my family and, and getting to spend a lot of time with them. This is the most I've ever been home in probably the last 12 years and, um, you know, not hopping from plane to plane, you know. So I just take that as a blessing and that's the silver lining of, of what these last, uh, eight weeks has, has given us.
0: And yeah, I know, um, uh- I and I saw Coach Hoiberg. I remember seeing it on ESPN, and I remember seeing you on the bench, and I was like, "Man, that's my guy." Even though we hadn't spoken uh, in a while, but you know, every stop you made, and everywhere you go, I've always follow you, and I always try to make sure that you know I always represent you. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, just prayers up to, for Coach Hoiberg. Glad that he's yeah. safe, you know, and uh, everything there. So, want to switch, want to transition to something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're a New York guy. Yep. And we recently had the laugh dance. And so you had to relive some uh, memories uh, from your next days. So what do you think about the last dance? And what do you think about, you yeah, know, seeing some of the
1: Knicks stuff, stuff? I hate Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and claim it was the best, you know, 20 hours of TV that I watched, like everybody does. I mean, listen, was it well done? Absolutely. Great stories. You know, a lot of things I knew already. A lot of things I learned. But, yeah, painful. Painful to see Charles Smith blow all those layups and, and get the the ball beaten in his face countless times and um, but yeah I always say Michael Jordan definitely hurt me growing up as a person because the Knicks would have certainly had a chance to probably win multiple championships at least one championship during the nineties because I mean, that was that was a hell of a Knicks team um, during that era but you know def- definitely brought back bad memories. Definitely brought back funny memories too because I remember when the Knicks would lose those games, man. I wouldn't be able to go to school the next day. You know, some people don't go to school for being sick. I would go to school for being sick. I wouldn't go to school if the Knicks lost. That's how big of a Knicks fan I was. Um, you know, but yeah, that it, it was cool. Um, I'm I'm glad it's over though. So I got I I don't have to keep seeing it on Twitter.
0: <laughs> hey man. That's funny, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. So me growing up in Texas, um, I was, I mentioned on podcast before. Uh,
1: when I hear yeah, you Mark. grew up nothing, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> good, good uh, good that
0: no, no, I'm gonna tell you something. No, keep it real with you. Uh, I had an interview with Mario Elliott and I had two guys on my wall. I had Kim Olajuwon and I had Larry Johnson. Yep. And Larry Johnson, he's from Dallas. So, yep. you know, I went, I was like a pseudo Knicks fan when Larry Johnson was there. Uh, and, yeah, and uh, Char- uh John Starks was from Oklahoma, so that's yep. near Texas. So I always, I used to ride with y'all just a little bit, but uh, I grew up a huge uh Kim Logue fan.
1: Yeah, well that that NBA lockout season when the Knicks were the eight seed, and um, you know Larry Johnson was at the end of his career. He had to wear that back brace when he was playing. You know, certainly, definitely played in pain. It showed but he was ridiculous. That was Spreewell was unbelievable Allen Houston. Ewing was at the end of his run as a Nick. Um that was definitely for me as a basketball fan, that was the best two month run of my lifetime as a basketball fan up to this point being the 8 seed. Now listen, talent wise they were definitely no 8 seed. Um but with the NBA short season they were and you know um clearly won in game five against the Heat and made it to the finals against the Spurs. And that's when Duncan won his first against the Knicks. And the Knicks had no chance to beat the Spurs without a true big because Ewing couldn't play with him being hurt. But it was, uh, that was a fun ride. But yeah, Larry Johnson, man. I love Larry Johnson. John Starks. I love John Starks, but the lasting image I'll always have of him with all the great things he did was in game seven against the Rockets. He he didn't do anything. He destroyed the Knicks. I mean, I think he was like two for 22 from three. Couldn't make a shot and certainly hurt, hurt the Knicks. But for me, that Rockets team, man, that was – I mean, that, there's no hatred there. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, what a, how fun to watch him.
0: Yeah, man. He's a, the dream shake. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, you're a New York guy again. Again, I grew up in Arlington, Rangers fan. You name. – you're so much of a mesh fan, you named your first bump Warren. After the stadium, there, Shay. Hey, so <laughs> I saw that I was like, "This guy is such a Mets fan." <laughs> so tell people just out there, you know, who just always hear about the Yankees, you know, from other parts of the country. You know, what is it about Mets fans that make them so loyal?
1: You know what i always, I always say this: if you were to take a Mets fan and a Yankees fan, the Mets fan, and I'll I'll probably you know get some shit from Yankee fans on this, but Mets fans are the blue collar. You know, we're rough. We know what it takes to earn a dollar. We know what it takes to be successful. We're going to have to grind it out. Nothing's given to us. You know, the road's going to be choppy. We know how to fight through adversity. Whereas the Yankee fans, you get everything on a silver platter. You know, you had the boss that literally paid for every player that, that you needed to be successful. And if you struck out and missed on one, it doesn't matter because the money was unlimited. And you were just given World Series ring after World Series ring and wins after wins. And, you know, you take things for granted when you're a Yankees fan. And that's similar to like being growing up in a really affluent household. There's nothing wrong with that. Got Good for you, man. You know, everyone has their own path and their own story. But Yankee fans, they can take things for granted um, because they have so much. We don't have anything. We're in good old Flushing Queens with nothing. We're just trying to find something and, and, and make it happen just once. I just 2015, they made it to the World Series, and I thought that could be it. Give me my one World Series because in 86, when they won, I was like eight months old. Um, just give me my one World Series, and I'll call it quits, and, and I'll live happy.
0: <laughs> hey, man, hey. I, I I don't really. I lived in New York, you know. We met when I was a GA, GA the St. John, so that's how our story uh, intertwined, yeah. and then we later crossed paths as interns in the NBA, uh-huh. um, which we'll get to in a second. But when I was living in New York, going to St. John, I lived in Queens, and so and I didn't really know, uh, Shea Stadium versus, uh, Yankee Stadium and all that stuff coming from Texas. So when I the very first time I drove by Yankee, uh, me, uh drove by Shea Stadium, I was like,
1: damn, Shea Stadium is huge." <laughs> Huge! I mean, it, it. It. I think the capacity was just under sixty thousand people. I mean, it was a really big stadium compared to how they're building stadiums today. You know, where City Field. I mean, it's a good fifteen thousand seats less.
0: Is uh, the same field in City Field as it was in Shea Stadium? Like the same. So type?
1: they built. They built City Field. Um, right in the uh, outside of the outfield of Shea. So if you go to City Field in the parking lot, they actually have like a home plate plaque um, right there to signify where home plate was for Shea. So, as really when you would sit in Shea Stadium, you could see City Field be constructed.
0: Well, wow, that's pretty neat, man. Yeah. Hey, hey yeah. quick shout out to all, all the Mets and all the Knicks fans out there, all the blue <laughs> and orange out there.
1: Absolutely. Oh, always, always love for blue and orange.
0: <laughs> so, uh let's, I just want to get get into a little bit of your backstory, basketball wise. So, like i mentioned, we were both uh, GAs at St. John's. You've had a pretty cool pra- uh, track record. You know, you started off as a student manager, GA intern, assistant ops, uh, assistant coach. Know a lot of people want that microwave mentality. Think they're going to get a job uh, by calling a coach, but you really had to grind it out, like you mentioned, like the Mets. You know, hard work and blue collar. So just talk to people about just the road to the path where you're at right now, all the accolades you've been getting here as of late, and which you know some stuff that you may have going on in the future. Like talk talk about that road to get there.
1: Yeah, you know what? I mean, the thing that I've been really blessed and fortunate with is surrounding myself around some really great people great human beings, you know, from a professional standpoint, clearly in their own right, accomplished. Um, You know, and the one thing that I always was taught at a young age is just work hard, keep your head down, people will notice, you know, you don't pat yourself on the back, don't think um, in your own right that you're accomplished, because the minute you do that, someone's just going to blow by you and pass you. And, you know, for me, being a manager taught me what work was and not getting any credit for it because those are the unsung heroes of every program. They're in the background doing stuff that, um, you know, is, is not a, uh, glorified position. And, um, you know, that really taught me that and and what it's going to take to get, uh, to a level where, you know, you don't have to do that stuff anymore. You know, listen, it's a, just like any competitive industry, but sports are an interesting industry because everyone in their own way has some sort of connection to sports. And a lot of people grow up wanting to be in sports, but they don't know what that means and what it looks like. And with that, the competitiveness is ridiculous. You know, you have people applying for jobs in the thousands constantly that doesn't happen in every industry. So my, for me, how do you separate yourself? You know, what are you going to do to separate yourself? Um, you know, certainly hard work is going to take you to a certain level. But for me, you know, I, I've been blessed with the gift of developing people's trust and being a transparent person. And when, you tr- when you're able to trust somebody and you work really hard. I think that's what opened so many doors for me, and you know, I proved myself at a young age when I got to the NBA as an intern and it turned into a full-time job. You know, those are people that I didn't know. They took a flyer on me because I was persistent in the in the uh, interview process and throughout the process of getting the job. Um, and they took a flyer on me, and I walked in the door from day one, you know, just put my hard hat on and and figured it out and navigated through it. I mean, here's a kid out of college that, um, you know, is working in the NBA that's given an unbelievable amount of responsibility. And, um, you know, one day I'm, I'm, you know, in New York and the next day I'm having Kevin McHale text me to break down a a video edit. I mean, that, that to me, you know, tells my story is that how quickly things can change always have to be prepared for change you know, change isn't easy for anybody. But if you want to work in this business, you better be prepared for it, because it could happen um, at the snap of your fingers. And if you're not prepared for it, that's when you fail. And for me, I was ready to get to Minneapolis and work and it opened up so many doors. And that's where I met Fred Hoyberg, which clearly changed my life. And you just don't know when you go through an experience, who you're going to meet that can open that next door. And you know, the biggest thing that I got from Minneapolis is I got unbelievable friendships. And that to me is the most important thing working in this business. Um, you know, certainly I've been fortunate enough with some success professionally, but the, the bonds that you create with your co-workers and specifically Hoiberg, Hoiberg was in my wedding party. Um, you know, he took me to Iowa State. He told me when we got to Iowa State, you're going to find a nice Iowa girl to marry. And he was right you know, um, I did three years later after we moved to Iowa. And uh, so that experience in itself, being my first college experience as an assistant coach, where you have the direct ability to change the trajectory of your program because of recruiting, that was pressure, you know, and pressure is a privilege. You know, I I was fortunate enough to, to have that pressure where you know, Hoiberg trusted me, and that trust wasn't developed over a day or a week. I mean, that was years of of a relationship that manifested into him trusting me and my opinion on players and their talent and how they fit, and just assembling a roster. And you know, that really put my career on a fast track because he trusted me. It paid off. You know, I was I was clearly a part of orchestrating an unbelievable rebuild at Iowa State where we took that program to places it's never been. And, um, you know, at the end of that, it was one unbelievable five-year run of accomplishments. And um, to be able to play a helping hand in that was was awesome and allowed me to have a new perspective on, on what it was like to work at a high-level college basketball program. And then, you know, dream come true for me being able to go to my alma mater. I mean, St. John's is a place I love. Um, Being able to work for a legend like Chris Mullen, you know, was, was, there's probably no words that can really describe it. Um, You know, but here's the thing that I learned more so about St. John's than anything is the better off you are at learning as quick as possible that it's a business, the better off you're going to be. Yes, that's my alma mater. But when you work for your alma mater, it doesn't mean much anymore because it's a business. And you have to go into that next challenge like I did, knowing that um, it's all about production. What are you going to do for me? It's about wins. It's about losses. That's how you're dictated in the sports business. And for me, it was an eye-opening experience because, you know, in, in a way, you kind of think, oh, man, get, I'm going to be- get the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I know the people there. It doesn't work that way, man. You know, and that was a a really eye-opening experience in the four years um, I was there. You know, and what an unbelievable, fulfilling feeling it was to inherit what we inherited. It's arguably the worst inherited roster in college basketball history. The second worst is what we inherited last year at Nebraska. And, to see the evolution of our program and the improvements we made in the four years we were at St. John's and to culminate with making the NCAA tournament and hearing your name called, I mean, dream come true. All I could be doing this for, you know, 30 more years and probably never had that feeling. Even though we didn't win the NCAA tournament, to hear your name called after going through what we went through in that rebuilding process, because rebuilding in New York is probably the single most difficult thing to do in this country in sports, is to rebuild in that city. To be able to do that unbelievable accomplishment, you know, a place that I hold dear and always will is, is St. John's. But the way it ended was unfortunate. I mean, I still the the hate text mess or the hate tweets that I get. I mean that part of it, you learn very fast that it's a business. And, you know, I, listen, for me, I don't need to explain myself. I was, I had an unbelievable opportunity to go work with somebody that is my boy. That's my, that's one of my best friends. And to be able to go back to a part of the country that's closer to my wife's family. um, You know, I I don't need to sit here and explain, you know, why I did things, but listen, it, it made complete sense. And, um, that doesn't mean it's easy or was easy to walk away from a city you love, a place you're comfortable, you know, a place where you know so many people. Um, but this was the right move for me and my family. And when you know this, when you have a family, that's you have to be selfish in your decisions. Hey, man, and, uh, happy, and, life,
0: happy life. You know, yeah, shout no, out, out to Kelly.
1: No, no doubt. So, you know, then I've learned a lot in – in the 14 months being now removed from St. John's, you know, ultimately um, there's going to be a, an overwhelming majority of people that understand and are in agreement with you. But no matter what, doesn't matter. There's going to be a minority of people that stick out because they're just on your neck all the time. And, you know, ultimately just it's that's the hate that goes on in this business that is unfortunate for anybody to go through. Um, So it's been a very fulfilling run for me in the last, you know, 11 years working in in the sports profession um, to see, you know, how people react to certain things. And every place I've been to, you know, I always love to evaluate what can I do better? What could have I um, changed that would have made things better? What things did I do well? So then, you know, as you move forward, you know, you can, you can get better. You know, it's all about development. You know, it's not just about development for the players. It's about development for the staff. And um, I've tried to pride myself on being better every year professionally that I'm in this. And I think the biggest thing that I'm better at today than I was a year ago is just understanding that you're not going to make everybody happy. And, you know, when the door closes at night, when I walk in the house, the only people that really matter... The only opinions that really matter are the ones in my household. You know, and that, that's one thing I've, I've really learned in um, trying to make sure I stay grounded on.
0: Let me take a time now to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market, check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? Man, they got all of that stuff, too. The swag, the footwear, Yeezys, man, they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge is partnered up to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soulloungehtx.com and enter promo code No Rules to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's No Rules, all one word, all caps. Soul Lounge, live what you love. I appreciate you saying those words for all the young folks out there listening that you know may not know where to go or you know what an internship is like and or how these things can propel you down the road. Um, I just love hearing those stories. Um, I'm going to give you a quick backstory of how I got my internship with the Spurs. So. <clears throat> I was a GA at St. John's and I get a call from the, uh, the head strength coach from the Spurs. I had been calling for like six months straight trying to get get on with San Antonio Spurs. And
1: we ain't got nothing. We ain't got nothing. We ain't got nothing.
0: Kind of persistent, like you said. And I, every time I made a phone call, I would uh, learn how to better prepare myself interview-wise. You know, what to say, what not to say. Buzzwords to say in interview. So I got a call like um, the springtime and of my first year at the GA. And they say, hey. We got an internship open in the strength and conditioning department. Are you interested? And most people will probably say, yeah, drop the phone, drop whatever you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I said, you know what? Well, let me get back to you. Uh, because as a my father is from Nigeria, and most people who know about Nigerians know that it's really important that your parents stress education. Absolutely. So, so I went from Texas all the way up to New York City, and I was like, I'm not going to leave New York. I got a, a free master's degree. And um, I was in. I was entrenched to just learn New York. You know, I had a job at Nineteen Town. I, uh, I was good. Yep. And um, a week went by, I, I just was, I didn't want to take the internship. I wanted it, but I didn't want to quit. I was like, yo, can y'all put it on hold? And um, I just learned very very early on, you know, in this business, when opportunity knocks, you have to answer the door. And a lot of my close circle was like, you can always go back to school. You can always, you know, school education is going to be there. Yep. Uh, but once I got the blessing from my father, uh, you know, to follow my dream. Uh, the rest is history. You know, like how you say, you know, work my up the ladder, director, all that kind of cool stuff, medical people, a lot of cool people like yeah. yourself. Um, so I just, I appreciate you ch- uh, sharing that story, man. Uh, it means a lot you know, to hear um, people like yourself have the same path that I have.
1: Yeah. You know, one, one thing I'll add is that, you know, you get it so many times and I'm sure same thing with you, young people that are trying to crack in the business. What is it going to take? And, no, the thing that I tell them is I could sit here and tell you my story and what I did, but it's really not going to mean anything to you because you've got to go out there and make your own path. You've got to create your own story. And I can't sit here and tell you what hard work is. You know, you've you got to know what hard work is. I can't sit here and tell you how to foster a relationship with somebody. You've got to go do that. You know, so I, I've always been a believer of that. And um, not to, to say that I, I'm, I'm not uh, – Um, friendly in trying to give a response, but I try and keep it real with them. Like, really, there's no bearing on what I did to translate to having, giving someone else uh, successful advice to, for them to make it. Um, Because at the end of the day, yeah, there's certain things you can pick up and certain things you can learn from everyone's path, but you, it's all on you, man. You got to go make that happen. Nobody else is going to do it for you. If you think someone else is going to do it for you, then you know, you're know you going to have a tough road.
0: Right. Right. So I appreciate you sharing that story. Let's get into some Nebraska basketball stuff. Yep. Most people around the country know Matt Abdelmassey as a Knicks fan as a Mets fan. Well, a lot of folks know you as a super recruiter. And let's talk about this recruiting class you guys just signed on. Like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, congratulations on that great recruiting class. The the two Kobe's, Trey, Lat. Um, all these guys coming in. Just talk about how excited you are in class um, coming in next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, when we got here a year ago, we had, uh, you know, we had 10 scholarships. You know, that's a very daunting task when you see 10 open scholarships. And we also knew that because it was so late that we were going to have a lot of attrition after year one. That goes with the territory. You know, I always say, like, I, man, I don't, I don't make these rules up. Like, these are the rules of engagement. This is 2020. This is current-day basketball, that it's somewhat a revolving door. One thing I prided myself on is being as an extra step ahead of that revolving door and being organized and prepared uh, for that attrition. So, you know, one thing that I feel like we did a great job of is we addressed our needs, and now we have the talent that we need to win uh, at the Big Ten level. It's a crazy good conference. You're talking about maybe 11 teams were going to make the Bay tournament this past season. That's ridiculous. 11 out of 14 speaks volume to how competitive 1 through 14 the league is. Um, so the biggest thing we wanted to address was experience. You need experience. If you have no experience – it's really, really hard to win in college basketball. There's some programs out there that think that the one-and-done route and accruing talent is the way to go. I disagree. I think the way to go is how do you get old, and then how do you stay old? And that's what we always pride ourselves on the, on the years that we won at Iowa State is we always were one of the oldest teams in the league. That allowed us to go out and, and compete and beat Kansas, who had lottery picks. That allowed us to go out and beat Baylor, who had high-level NBA talent. That's what we have to do at Nebraska. You know, this isn't a destination that kids are circling saying, Man, my dream's to play at Nebraska. Certainly not for basketball. It is for football, but not basketball. So for us, that's what we're trying to create. Is we saw it at Iowa State when we were winning, by the time kids that started as a freshman, by the time they were seniors in high school, they realized that Iowa State can be a destination for me because all, we were in the top 25, I think, for like 35 straight weeks. And that, that spanned over, I think, two and a half seasons. When you're in the top 25 that long, well, you're on ESPN. The highlights are on ESPN. The kids watch ESPN. You know, people are talking about you. That is, to me, what we're striving for here is we want people to talk about us because of the success we have on the court, and the way we're going to get there is we want to get old and stay old, and we address that. We went from fourteenth last in the conference, to I think now we're fourth in overall experience over a course of a few months bringing kids in, so that gives us an advantage in, in our opinion and then the other things that we addressed is we addressed our our size. you have to have size to play in this league you know we have our average height's going to be, you know, up upwards of probably in the six seven range, which is really good. And the other thing we address is um, we have the athletes to play the way we want to play, which is fast. We were 16th in the country in tempo this past season. Uh, we played the way we want to play, play to be successful, but we just didn't convert at the rate that's going to translate to winning at the level we want. So we addressed all those things with the, this group of kids and, you know, we're really excited about getting them here in a couple of weeks to get working with them. Cause a lot of them have never been to Nebraska because of how things change with committing to schools without visiting. So, you know, it's going to take some time to get them acclimated. But the biggest thing is, is uh, we have a group that's hungry. We have a group that has a chip on their shoulder. They want to go out and prove themselves That's what you get with transfers. It didn't work out where you came from. This is your shot now to go prove yourself, whether maybe you weren't getting enough playing time or you were getting enough touches or maybe you just picked the wrong style of play. Someone each, they each have their own reason on why they want to prove themselves. I'll take a hungry kid any day of the week over, you know, um, a high school kid that is entitled.
0: If I'm a dad and I'm talking to you, and y'all taking me on a little tour in places like the the Hendricks Center, and we yeah. got you, and we got Coach Hoyberg, and yeah. we got the football program across the street, yeah, yeah, I don't know why anybody would want to commit to
1: Nebraska. Yeah, you know what, dude? It's you're right. It's one of those places. If you build the trust during the recruiting process and they visit, you're gonna have a really good shot to get them. It's unbelievable. They do such a phenomenal job of giving you every resource possible to be successful here. They love their sports in this state. You know, this is the show in the state. You know, there's no Spurs, there's no Texas Rangers, there's no Cowboys, there's no Mavericks. This is it, man. This is it. This is the show. And that to me is really cool for a student athlete to come in here and, 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 you know, when they do this name, image, likeness thing, there's going to be billboards of you in, this, in the state, all across the state. You know, you're not going to have to compete against Porzingis. It's, this is you. I'm not even going to bring up, like, any of those cowboy names. Or um, you
0: know, that, that,
1: this, this, this is your state to own. And to me, that, that's really cool. And to me, it's a heck of an advantage.
0: I got a question about the recruiting game. So – when you're riding, when you get off your plane and you roll up in your Ford Fusion or your whatever you're renting that day, and your Adidas climb a light, cool uniform with the big end on it, and you walk into uh, one of these uh, recruits' home with their parents, you know what is your? I don't want to say I won't use the word pitch, but what are you? What are you? What are you conveying to the families, and what are you saying to them about um, the program that you're at? You know why you should choose us, et cetera, et cetera. Take us into that process.
1: The only reason I've had success is when I walk into that living room, I am who I am. I'm not going to switch on you. You're going to be able to trust me. And the most important thing I say is every school recruiting you has something wrong with it. We own the things that we're deficient at. We're not going to be able to change the history and tradition of Nebraska basketball in a course of 14 months. We can't make that stuff up. What you're going to get here, though, is when things aren't going well, because that's what, to me, life is about. You're going to have people around you that are going to guide you back on the right path, that are going to be there for you no matter what. And ultimately, all the great things about the facilities, all the great things about all these cool bells and whistles, thats that stuff's all cool. I mean, I've gotten over 40 transfers in my career, and a lot of them are – unbelievable success, the reoccurring theme with every single one is they're not transferring because they want a nicer facility or they want a nicer this or that. They're transferring because they did not feel like that coaching staff where they came from did everything they could possibly do to make them successful. They deceived them in some type of way, whether it's the style of play, whether it's development. So, therefore, The biggest thing that you need to have is trust. So walking in that living room, that's all I'm trying to do. Let's learn about each other. You know, what makes you who you are? What makes me who I am? And tell each other how we got to this point and just build off of the comfort level of developing that trust. Because to me, if you can trust it, it doesn't matter where it is in the country, low major, mid major, high major. It's going to work out because you're going to surround yourself around really good people every day and that's what we have here. We have really good people. You no, know, everyone's treated fairly. The ball's rolled out. Go out and prove yourself, man. And that's what I tell the kids. You know, I'm there's no favorites here. Go roll we're going to roll the ball out. Go prove yourself. If you're confident, this is a great place for you because being able to play for a head coach that has 19 years of MBA experience and knows through all his experiences, what it takes to get there, what it takes to stay in that league. That's powerful. You know, a lot of coaches say, I develop pros, I develop pros, all that stuff. Okay, cool. Well, our coach was a pro. He got there on his own. Our coach picked pros in being a general manager, our coach coached pros. So he knows exactly what it is like like to be in their shoes. And then on top of it, he produced 10 NBA players in five years at Iowa State. So I know I'm biased, but give me somebody with that resume.
0: Right, ain't nobody out there with a resume, like the mayor. No, No, not at all. Same with recruiting. So when you sit down at your computer and y'all have y'all recruiting meetings and you make your bullet points, what are you thinking about um, when you go on your research on a kid, you know, what are you sitting down, making notes of? What are, like, the top three things that are important to you before you even pick up the phone, call their high school AAU coach? You know, what are you what are you looking at?
1: Well, just from a pure basketball standpoint, I mean, I've always liked guys that are athletic and have length um, because that certainly fits well into what we're trying to do on the court. Off the court, man, I'm just looking for somebody that's always going to keep it 100 with you, you know, because – if you don't have transparency with each other, we're not gonna be able to develop that trust. And without that trust, there's no chance it works. I don't care who you are, I don't care how talented you are, that is literally everything. You have to develop trust. So, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, when I'm looking for a kid, um, yeah, of course, from just a pure eye standpoint, on meeting your standards as as a talent of course that's important but you know just developing and and maintaining a relationship with those kids and the families and and everyone around them um you know that takes time um you know so that that's the biggest thing i i ask for is man if if there's something you screwed up just own it uh be accountable you know there's nothing worse than somebody blaming somebody else for your own problem And, um, you know, if you do that, you know, I always feel like it's going to work out really well with me and that kid.
0: Sam, right there, Um, do you like chasing the big fish or you like chasing some of the guys that are, you know, the the through the cracks kind of guys?
1: I've always I've been successful because I swing in my strike zone, man. Like and I know what my strike zone is. You know, I'm a contact hitter. I'm not, I'm not going to be,
0: you're, you're DJ Strawberry. <laughs>
1: I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be a Giancarlo Stanton and strike out, you know, 85% of the time. But when I do connect, yeah, I'm hitting the home run. I don't have time for that. You know, um, we're trying to build this thing into a sustainable powerhouse nationally. And with that, you better swing in your strike zone. You better invest your time and energy in winning battles. And that's what I've always prided myself on. So you ask yourself, well, what's a winning battle? A winning battle is do you have a connection to that kid? You know, is there someone in their life that you know that can vouch for you and what you're trying to build at Nebraska? Um, or is it a situation where what the kid's looking for, we know wholeheartedly, we can offer him all that stuff here? Um, so there's no exact science to it, of course, but, you know, I've always pride myself, man. Just I'm I'm, I'm locked in on, on my strike zone. You know, I I always need a pitch that I can hit. And if I can't, man, I'm I'm gonna take my balls and I'm gonna walk to first base and and you know pull out another name.
0: Yeah, man. Hey, I love that. You know, stay hit. Go for your own strike zone. Stay in your strike zone. I love that, man. Hey, going back to that mess thing. All you know, you, got, you find ways to. To always cross uh, collaborate those two there's
1: nothing. There's nothing better. I mean, just back to the baseball reference, you want guys on base. It's cool to hit the solo home run, right? Awesome. Great. Good for you. You want guys on base. That's when it matters.
0: You're dropping you so many gyms today, bro. Hey! So when you're um, sitting, up, sitting on the bench and the player that you, you've recruited is having an awful shooting game. And coach is getting on. And it's like, uh, like, Dan, that's my guy. That's the guy I recruited. So you have that kinship with him. You know, what are you, what are you saying to a guy that when he comes off the bench to keep him motivated, to keep him in the game, keep his mind. So when coach calls the number again, he's ready to go back in.
1: You know, one thing I learned from working with Chris Mullen is, you know, you always go back to your training. You know, if, if you're a shot maker, you know, go back to the, the late nights in the gym when you were making those shots. And remember that, you know, you're going to have bad shooting days. You might have a bad shooting week. Just go back to your training. That's what got you to the, that point. And if you go back to your training, I think you stay level-headed on, on what it's going to take to be successful, and it gives you the confidence to go out there and, and uh, get through a rough patch, whether it be shooting or whatever it may be. What's the cool
0: thing about Matt Abdo maxi that most people don't know about? Give us something that most people don't know. Yeah, you're a sneakerhead, uh, you love fried chicken, you drive on the left side of the street. Give us something that most, <laughs> people don't, most, most people don't know about you.
1: A cool thing about me, man, you know what? I really, to be honest with you, I, like I'm a very simplistic person, man. Give me a, a good show, good movie. You know I'm definitely a food head. You know love love a good meal, and uh, you know keep it simple, man. Like give me any day of the week a chance to go to the ballpark, watch a game, or go to the garden and watch a Knicks or you know Giants game. But you know I'm I'm real simple, man. You know I I love uh, I love sports. It dominates my life. Um, love movies. Love shows. Traveling is a big part of my life. You know love going all across the world. You know, uh, I never vacation in the United States. I always vacation outside the United States because I travel enough here. So I've been fortunate enough to travel the world. Um, but, yeah, man, it's, it's really, there's, there's no other layer of interest other than the fact I'm, I'm just a normal dude that is really, really, really lucky to be in the position I am. And I never take that for granted. You know, stay grounded on on who I am and, and what's got me here. And what's got me here is, man, I'm prideful, man. You know, I got a lot of pride for the people and the things that I love, and, and it's got me to this point. So there's definitely no turning back on that right now. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, right, Rob? One more time before you leave.
0: We'll get you out of here. Ames, Iowa, because of the wifey, or Lincoln, Nebraska, because of the current situation?
1: Lincoln, Nebraska. It's about five times bigger. There's a lot more restaurants, even though i miss. In- <laughs> I miss a lot of people in Ames. Ames will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, man, Lincoln is, it, shockingly, if you haven't been here, it's a really cool place to live because it's not small. It's over 300,000 people, which I know for like a city person, that sounds small, but relatively, in relative terms compared to the rest of the country, it's, it's, that's a good-sized town. Right, um, And to have a university in it as well, just it's got a really cool vibe to it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll with Lincoln.
0: <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, well, we appreciate you coming on the No Referees yeah. podcast, telling some stories, giving some people some inspiration, talking about the recruiting process that you have and uh, the upward trajectory of Nebraska men's basketball. Everybody, please go follow Coach Matt on his social media pages at, at D33. Uh, everywhere on social media, Twitter, Instagram, he's pretty engaging on there. He's a good follow. Uh, again, you'll always see stuff about the Knicks, Giants, and you'll see some hater stuff on about the Jets as well, which I've seen
1: <laughs> pl- plenty, plenty of hater stuff if you, you want to get commentary on that.
0: <laughs> so, brother, appreciate you. I, yeah, know you, thank I, you. I know you're busy, man, and uh, love, love talking to you. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not that far from you. Yeah. At uh, Chicago. I got to make my way up to Lincoln because uh, i never right. been there. And the only thing I heard about Lincoln
1: is the corn. <laughs> absolutely. It's great seeing you, man. Really great connecting. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Proud of you. Yeah,
0: thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. To the next episode, we out.